0: Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Podcast. This series is designed to provide a high-level overview of what businesses and industry professionals need to know about cybersecurity and data privacy issues. We cover cutting-edge topics, trends, and developments while also discussing the fundamentals of the law. My name is Kelly Fleming, and I'm your host for this week's episode. I'm a partner here at Burn Foreman, and my experience includes healthcare privacy and security matters with a focus on HIPAA compliance. In this episode, we will be discussing HIPAA also known as the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. Specifically, we are going to be discussing what healthcare entities and their business associates need to know to adhere to the breach notification requirements in the event of a cyber attack. When you have a cyber attack, the first step is determining whether or not the cyber attack involves an entity that is potentially covered by HIPAA. Under HIPAA, there are two categories of entities that are covered. There is what is called a covered entity which is typically your healthcare providers, your hospitals, your nursing homes, your physician practices, or a group health plan, for example, Blue Cross Blue Shield United, or an employer's self-insured group health plan. Or there's also what's called a business associate of a covered entity. A business associate of a covered entity is an entity that is providing a service on behalf of the covered entity, and in order to perform that service, needs access to the, what's called, protected health information of the entity. And protected health information is information that relates to the entity's patients or members of the group health plan and which can be used to identify such patients or members. If you have a business associate that is needing access to such protected health information in order to perform a service, they must enter into what's called a business associate agreement with the covered entity and they can be directly liable under HIPAA for violations of HIPAA including um, being required to abide by certain requirements as it relates to breach notification. An example of a business associate would be a law firm like Burr Informant. When we provide services to our clients that are healthcare entities and we need access to patient information related to those clients, we then are business associates of those clients and those covered entities, and we're bound by HIPAA, just like other types of business associates. Other examples of business associates may be accountants or billing entities or even management entities of healthcare providers or group health plans. So, once you make the first sort of step in determination, yes, we've had a cyber attack, and yes, the cyber attack involves a covered entity that is covered by HIPAA or a business associate of a covered entity, for example, a healthcare provider, you then have to determine what information has been accessed as a result of the cyber attack. Determination here is, you know, was there protected health information involved in the attack? Was there protected health information that was accessed by the attack? In other words, if you're looking at a healthcare provider, was patient information accessed by the bad actor as a result of the cyber attack? Due to the way that healthcare providers maintain and store their health information, not all cyber attacks on their systems will involve PHI. So for example, most healthcare providers use in what's called an electronic medical record system. Oftentimes these medical systems are cloud-based and they require an additional level of security to access. And all the medical information related to the patients is behind, stored on that cloud and is behind that additional level of access. If there's a cyber attack on that healthcare provider's system, but there is no evidence that the bad actor has actually gone behind the second level of security and gotten into the electronic medical record system, then it may be that this particular attack did not involve PHI and is not subject to HIPAA requirements. However, you have to be extremely thorough when making this determination. While in my example, there may be a lot of medical information stored behind an EMR, there may also be some patient information stored, for example, in emails or on a computer hard drive. And if such is the case, then we have to go through those emails and look through the information that's stored on that hard drive that potentially was accessed and determine if there is any PHI embedded therein, and if so, what the HIPAA implications are as a result of the attack. This is sometimes a little more difficult than it sounds. So for I'll give you an example. We had a healthcare provider that did experience a cyber attack. It was clear from the type of attack and the scenario that was at play that patient information was not at the forefront of what the bad actors were trying to obtain. In fact, what they were actually trying to obtain was um, a financial gain. And they were really trying to direct or misdirect, rather, payments that were going to be made by the covered entity, by the healthcare provider, to its employees as part of their compensation. And the way that we knew this was the bad actor, what they did was instead of going after the patient information that was stored on the systems, they actually gained some login to access the HR system. For the employees of the covered entity and they use that to go in and change the direct deposit account for those particular employees so that when the next payroll cycle hit instead of being the money going into the employee's bank account it would then be directed to the bad actor's bank account so clearly they were after a financial gain and not necessarily individual information the problem with this from a HIPAA standpoint was that when they went in, when they got the logins to access the the HR system to change or misdirect the money and change the bank account, the HR system was set up to send an automatic email to the employee alerting them, hey, someone has logged into your payroll system and changed your bank account for your direct deposit. You know, your next payroll be, will be deposited to bank ABC as opposed to bank XYZ. So to fend off that email and fend off alerting the employee that the bank account had been changed, the bad actor actually went into the email system of each individual employee and set up a rule where that automatic email, instead of going to the employee's inbox where the employee would see it and say, hey, something's going on, would go into the employee's deleted items folder. Um, therefore, the employee wouldn't see it. And when the next payroll hit, all the money would be deposited into the bad actor's bank account. All sounds great. Again, none of it sounds like there is patient information involved in the cyber attack. But unfortunately, for these levels of employees, they did have patient information stored in some of their emails. Um, So they were of the type where they were um, emailing patient information. And because the bad actor was in their email account, we then had to do a very detailed forensic analysis to determine what inboxes or boxes within their email account was the bad actor in and was there any patient information within those inboxes. So, you know, it sounds simple, a simple process, you know, did they access our EMR, did they not, but sometimes that the analysis does not stop there when you're in the second step of determining was patient information involved. So, you have a breach, you determine that there has been a covered entity, you determine that there has been patient information involved. The third step is determining if there has been a risk that the PHI or the patient information has been compromised as a result of the cyber attack. There are several factors for making this determination under a legal framework. You look at who accessed the information. Was it a bad actor? Was it not? In most cyber attacks, the answer is yes, it was a bad actor. What information was involved? Are we talking about detailed clinical information and detailed demographic information? For example, social security number? Or are we just talking about patient name? Whether the information was actually acquired or or viewed, that's where forensic analysis comes in hand to determine where the bad actor went on our system and what could they see, and the extent to which the risk has been mitigated. You look at all those factors to determine if there has been a risk that the information has been compromised. Under the legal framework, the default is that yes, there is a risk that the information has been compromised, but there are scenarios where you can overcome that default. But assuming that you do determine that yes, there is a risk of compromise, you then move into the breach reporting process. So we've we've conducted our, we've had a cyber attack. Our world has kind of stopped. We've conducted our analysis from a HIPAA standpoint. Do we have a covered entity? Do we have patient information? Has there been a risk that the PHI has been compromised? And if the answer is yes, yes, and yes, you then move on to the breach notification process under HIPAA. And this would be, this process would be in addition to any sort of breach notification that is required under um, more specific state laws, or even less specific state laws, or other federal laws that may be impacted as a result of the incident. But purely focused on HIPAA, um, the notification process has several layers and several aspects. First and foremost, and probably the largest layer, is reporting the incident to the patients or the individuals whose information was involved. Again, sounds like an easy process, but if you have a widespread cyber attack that impacts a lot of files, on within a system of a healthcare provider, it can take a while to determine, okay, what files were included in the attack, what information was included in those files, and then who did that information belong to, and how do we contact that individual. It can take months, it can take weeks to figure out, you know, my biggest tip here would be start the process as soon as you can. So as soon as you know that there's been an issue, as soon as you get your head around the attack, as soon as you stop the attack and mitigate the harm, start the forensic analysis to determine what patient information was involved and who that information belongs to. Once we identify those patients, we have 60 days to notify them under the law of the incident. This is done via letter. There are certain things that need to be included in the letter. There is a certain format that the letter needs to be sent. So, for example, if you have a patient that's been deceased, the law addresses how you provide notification to that individual's family members. If you do not have contact information or up-to-date contact information for specific individuals, the law addresses how you notify those individuals. All of these legal requirements need to be met in order to ensure that the notification to the patient is provided in a legally compliant manner. In addition, there are various ways that you can craft the letter. So there are certain legal requirements and elements that must be included in the letter to the patient, but there are additional information or, or things that you can include in the letter to show to the patient or the individual who's receiving the letter that you're making a good faith effort to notify them and provide them with the information regarding the cyber attack and any potential risk that may arise therefrom. So drafting is really important when it comes to the letter. I would recommend involving either a lawyer or someone else who is well versed in HIPAA requirements and helping you draft the breach notification letter so that you can ensure it complies with all the legal framework from a HIPAA standpoint in addition to anything that must be included in the letter from a state law standpoint. In addition to notifying the patients, under HIPAA you're also required to notify the government. When we're talking about HIPAA, the government entity that we're dealing with is the HHS, Office for Civil Rights, otherwise known as OCR. This notification to the government also has to be given within 60 days, but when your 60 days begins to run may vary depending on how many patients we're talking about and being involved in the breach. So if your breach involves less than 500 patients, then your 60 days actually does not begin to run until the end of the current calendar year in which the breach occurs. So for example, if, if you had a cyber attack tomorrow, as we sit here in 2022, and the cyber attack involved less than 50, 500 patients, then your notification obligation would not run until 60 days from the end of 2022. Or in other words, your deadline would fall the end of February, beginning of March of 2023. Depending on the scenario, some clients, some healthcare providers decide to go ahead and send the breach notification to the, the government and not delay and wait till the end of the current calendar year. So if they're they're going ahead and notifying patients, they wanna go ahead and notify the government as well at the same time. Other scenarios, other fact patterns lend itself to waiting until the actual deadline at the end of the current calendar year or the 60 days past the end of the current calendar year so that we can kind of see how the breach response plays out after we've notified the patients. Very specific determination um, and something that you may want to involve legal counsel or an advisor well-equipped in HIPAA to help you navigate. Most cyber attacks wouldn't fall under the scenario. Most cyber attacks that involve PHI for a covered entity are going to involve more than 500 patients. So in terms of notification to the government, if the cyber attack involves more than 500 patients, then your 60 days actually runs concurrent with your 60 days to notify the patients. So from the date of discovery, your 60 days to notify the patients and your 60 days to notify the government would run at the same time. So for example, again, if we, as we sit here in 2022, if we had a breach that occurred today or tomorrow and the breach involved more than 500 patients, our 60 days would start to run the day of the breach. The government notification process is pretty straightforward. It is all electronic. It is all done through an upload form on the OCR website. There are certain things that need to be included within the form. There are different ways that you can craft the form to put yourself in a better light in terms of investigations and penalties if the government chooses to investigate the incident. So again, I would recommend getting somebody well versed in HIPAA requirements and the legal framework and specifically OCR penalties investigations to help you complete that form and upload it to OCR. Lastly, or really next to last, the third type of notification we've talked about notifying our patients. We've talked about notifying the government. Under the HIPAA framework, fortunately for a lot of healthcare providers, there are notification requirements to the media under certain circumstances. So if you have a breach that involves more than 500 individuals within a specific state or jurisdiction, so it doesn't necessarily have to be More than 500 individuals total, but 500 individuals within a state. So, for example, the state of Alabama, then the media must be notified within 60 days of the incident. So, you could have a breach that involved, let's say, 700 patients, 300 of them were in Alabama, 300 in Georgia, and 100 in Florida, and that may not necessarily trigger notification to the media versus if all 700 of those patients were in Alabama because that's within one specific jurisdiction that would trigger notification to the media. The notification to the media needs to be to reputable media outlets within the jurisdiction, and they need to be outlets that are designed to reach the impacted individuals as a result of the breach. So that covers notification to the patient, we've talked about notification to the government, we've talked about notification to the media, and I guess the last notification topic that I wanna address is notification by a business associate. So we talked at the beginning that the HIPAA framework applies to covered entities um, as well as their business associates. So those entities that are providing services for the covered entities, and in order to provide those services need to have access to patient information, for example, a law firm. If a business associate experiences a breach and the patient information of the covered entity has been impacted as a result of that breach, then the business associate has some legal obligations for notification Under the legal framework, the obligation for the business associate for notification flows to the covered entity. So, the business associate would have 60 days to notify, again, under the legal framework, the covered entity of the incident. Because business associates sign contractual agreements with the covered entities that they serve, those agreements are called business associate agreements, there may be different contractual requirements that are imposed. So, for example, while the law says 60 days, a business associate may contractually agree to provide the notification within 20 days. Similarly, because the law says business associate, all you have to do is notify the covered entity, and then the covered entity has the obligations to notify the patients and the government and the media. Contractually, there may be scenarios where the business associate has agreed to take on those notification obligations on behalf of the covered entity. So you you need to kind of be aware of those if you're a business associate that experiences a breach a PHI or patient information that you've received from a covered entity, you need to pull out your BAA to determine if your contractual obligations are separate and apart from your legal obligations. Overall, what I would say the one big takeaway as it relates to HIPAA breach response is documentation, documentation, documentation. It is extremely important to maintain documentation of the entire breach incident. When did it happen? Document a timeline of the event. When did it happen? What happened? What was your response? When did you stop the attack? When did you bring in legal advisors, forensic advisors, kind of the whole scenario? Document your forensic report. You know, maybe there's a legal report that comes through. Retain copies of all the notifications to the patients, the government, the media, everybody. Build a file to document what happened. The reason for this is once you report the breach to the government, to OCR, they may open up an investigation related to the breach. And you want to be able to have that documentation at your fingertips to assist in that investigation. Sometimes the investigation is opened promptly by the government. Other times it's a little delayed. And the delay is in no way a factor of the covered entity but purely a government function. And if it's delayed, then it's extremely important to have that documentation on hand for you to refer to when the government comes knocking on the door and asking questions. It's also extremely important because there can sometimes be employee turnover. And if the employees who are involved in the breach, incident, and response are no longer with the entity and the investigation is ensued and the entity has to answer questions regarding the investigation, it may sometimes be hard to get information from those former employees. But if you have a good file and you have lots of documentation, that is extremely helpful. I have seen it all in terms of HIPAA breaches, You know, your computer left in your car, your information that has been faxed to the wrong individuals, or even very widespread ransomware attack impacting hundreds of thousands of individuals. The biggest ones that we're seeing right now, no surprise, are your large volume cyber attack. It's really no surprise that healthcare entities are hot commodities, or in terms of hot targets, I should say, for those bad actors. Couple of reasons for that. One, we have seen a huge shift in the healthcare industry of maintaining information in paper form to electronic form. Some of that is driven by government incentives, and some of it is just the nature of of where we are in the the world today. But as that information shifts, obviously, you know, it becomes more susceptible to a large spread um, attack, like a cyber attack. Secondly, the type of information that healthcare entities um, maintain is extremely valuable on the black market. Um, and extremely valuable to a bad actor. So not only do you have demographic information about someone, their address, their their phone number, their name, their social security number, but you may also have detailed clinical information or detailed billing information or financial information that healthcare providers maintain. All this information is also not necessarily stored in the same system. So most healthcare providers, they may have an electronic medical record system that maintains um, the clinical side of the house And then they may have have a billing system that they use for collection and payment processes that maintain some financial information. And then they may have a practice management system that they use for demographic information and setting up appointments. And so for bad actors, this is extremely attractive because if they're able to get on your system and they can't get into one data set, for example, your EMR, they have other types of data sets that they can try to access. Lastly, you know, no surprise, healthcare providers, are trying to practice medicine. They are trying to treat the patients and deliver good care, and that's what they should be focused on doing. So as a result, unfortunately, sometimes healthcare providers aren't quite as sophisticated when it comes to IT issues, and that makes them a hot target for bad actors. In 2021, I read a statistic the other day that said the healthcare industry was the largest industry impacted by cyber attacks in terms of the number of individuals. All of these attacks would have implications like we've talked about today. Healthcare entities as a result, they need to put their efforts into outsourcing some of their security and IT if possible to ensure that they have good IT measures and good firewalls and good systems in place to and security measures to prevent cyber attacks. Not only is a risk assessment by a healthcare provider a good idea, at least annually, um, but it's also required by the law. So the law requires healthcare providers, HIPAA, requires healthcare providers to do a risk assessment of their systems and determine their vulnerabilities and try to close their vulnerabilities to the extent they're able to. The law doesn't require that this assessment be done annually, but it is certainly not a bad idea to do it annually, and if you add a new system to your electronic framework, then it is a good idea to rerun the risk assessment to involve that new system. I hope this has been helpful to you all today, outlining some of the breach notification requirements as it relates to HIPAA and specifically to those practicing within the healthcare industry. If your business needs assistance navigating HIPAA, please visit our website at www.burrcyber.com. www.burrcyber.com. For more information on cybersecurity and data privacy issues, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We hope you tune in next time for Burr's Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day.